Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. We're going to be talking this morning about the priority of prayer. As we've been talking about throughout the service today, we're going to be spending the first uh, month of this year focusing on our prayer lives and our intimacy with God. And if you're thinking, well, what happened to the James series, we're going to be combining these two last, mes or two last messages that I had planned for James into this uh, time of our January prayer focus. So next week, as I said, we're going to be going through a solemn assembly. Then January 10th, we're going to be focusing on the purpose of prayer. The 17th, the posture of prayer. And the 24th, the process of prayer. Just focusing on different parts of our prayer life and how to um, have that kind of intimacy with God that we are searching for. We also have the church open during specific times, and I'll bring that uh, next week, so I didn't have time to get those on the calendars because work didn't release my schedule until just a day ago. And our Wednesday nights will also be focusing on prayer as well as studying the Bible. Now I want to spend the beginning of this year focused on the most important part of our walk with God after becoming a Christian, and that is prayer. And no one is better to look to in the Bible as an example of what a prayer life should look like than Jesus. And the verse that I want to take today's message from, before this uh, verse happens, Jesus is growing in popularity. Word is being spread throughout northern Israel and Galilee that he's a healer that he's a teacher, that he's this huge miracle worker. And whenever you get these kind of things together, you will draw a large crowd to you. However, Jesus, interestingly, doesn't immediately do what most pastors would do nowadays. If a pastor was all of a sudden healing people and drawing crowds, if he's all of a sudden just preaching and being asked to speak at conferences and writing books and doing all these things, he doesn't do what a pastor now would do. He does what seemingly would be the exact opposite. I mean, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't make sure that the media is there every time he shows up. He doesn't hire a publish, publicist to maximize his newfound fame. He doesn't even sign a book deal to increase his revenue stream and make sure that he has more speaking engagements. In fact, Jesus does the exact opposite of what today's world would tell an up-and-coming preacher to do. And that's where we pick this up in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came near him to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for your example. And we ask, Father, that your words sink deeply into our hearts, that it penetrate into those areas that the enemy would try to speak to us to keep us from praying. We ask, Father, that you just destroy arguments that would set themselves up that would keep us from praying. We ask, Father, that you would just make the things of this world grow strangely dim so that we desire to spend time in prayer with you. Lord God, do this through your word this morning. In your name and for your glory, amen. For all the focus on the miracles... And for all the attention paid to Jesus' teaching, or for the incredible gift he gave us by dying on the cross, 
It's very easy to miss what the central priority was in the life of Jesus. And that central priority was prayer. If the early church got anything right, it was this priority of prayer, this time spending focusing on God and being intimate with him. And what we, we can glean from Jesus' example is one, the priority that he puts on prayer. And Jesus, interestingly, put time with his father in prayer above the needs of all the people, as we see in this verse. People kept coming to him, kept wanting things from him, kept wanting to hear him speak, kept wanting to see the miracles, kept wanting to be healed. But he would withdraw from those people and go into lonely places to pray. And people, they had legitimate needs. There were people that were legitimately sick. There were people that had even demons inside of them that needed to be delivered. But Jesus would go off into prayer. You know, pastors often fall under this trap. We get phone calls. We get requests during Sunday school. We get requests after church say, Pastor, I need this from you. Pastor, I need that from you. And we see things that need to be done. And we see problems that need to be fixed. And we, we try to get in there and, and get in there and meddle and, and get into people's lives and fix it and do all these other things instead of holding these people up to the Father, instead of taking it first to the Lord in prayer. It's a temptation in my life. I'm a fixer. I, I see a problem and I want to fix it. Tammy will tell you. She'll come to me with a, a problem and I'll say, well, you should do this. Well, I don't want. I, I, I just. I just want you to listen. I just. I just want you to to empathize with me. I don't want you to fix my problem. And it comes from my background, being in the medical field, being a firefighter, being a paramedic. But sometimes, as a pastor, you simply have to turn the a person over to God and actually do what you'll tell them on Sunday morning and pray for them. I remember one time when I was a very new pastor, I had a. Um, didn't have much formal training yet. I was just kind of a, the guy they called pastor because I was the only one, I think, crazy enough to do it. And one of the things I had never done before was marriage counseling. And in fact, at this point, I'd probably only been married seven or eight years when I had a very professional couple, very well-educated couple, and a very highly regarded couple in the church. I mean, if you want to hold up what a Christian couple should look like, it was this couple. Very, very well regarded, very well known in the Christian community. This couple happened to go to our church and they came to me, this brand new guy that they're calling pastor, and said, we need prayer counseling or we need marriage counseling. So I'm thinking, hmm, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. I said, but Tammy, Tammy is going to school for this. Tammy's going to school, and counseling is, is her thing. It's a big part of what she was going to college for at her time. And I figure, you know what? I'll be in the office. I can open in prayer. I can close in prayer. I can nod wisely once in a while and say amen. I can just let her do it, and everything will be okay. Well, wouldn't you know it, the, time, the day of the appointment comes, and she's sick. She can't come. <laughs> and... So I had to go in alone. And I was really, really feeling out of my debt. I went to church early to pray, and I'm just sitting there going, God, this couple is just so highly regarded as this, 
this amazing couple. They're anointed, they're very well educated, both had bachelors, I think he had a master's degree. I mean, he, they were very well educated, and I'm this poor sap that you called into the ministry that has no idea what, they're, what he's doing, and I have to counsel these people? I mean, God, what, how, how am I gonna do this? And I, you know, I spent time in prayer. I, I spent time in prayer for wisdom. I spent time in prayer hoping their car broke down. I mean, I just, you know, I wanted to, something to get me out of this. I didn't, I didn't pray for that. I'm just kidding. But the time came, they showed up at my office and they proceeded to tell me everything that's wrong with our marriage. She went first, just had this huge, long list of problems. And it wasn't just, he forgot to change the toilet paper roll and put the toilet seat back down. It was, you know, some, some relatively serious things that they're going through. And then he started up, and I just felt a leading from the Lord as he began to say, well, she's doing this, and she doesn't come to, and, you know, she stays up and sends me to bed by myself, and all I wanted to do is have her in the bed with me as we go to sleep so we can cuddle, and all these, you know, all these kind of different things like that. And I felt a leading from the Lord that said, just tell him to stop. So I was like, okay, uh, Chuck, you need to stop right now. And he looked at me, he's just stunned. He's like, wait a minute, you let her ramble on forever. You're not going to let me talk? I said, just stop for a moment. And I said, instead of talking at me and triangulating this conversation so I get to yell at her, why don't you two just turn toward one another and talk? Have a discussion. Tell each other what's wrong. And they proceeded to do this for another. They went back and forth, and at the end of about an hour, they had solved all their problems for him. And I just sat there and did what I wanted to do and nodded sagely <laughs> and closed in prayer. And they looked at me and said, well, what do we even need you for? <laughs> I said, exactly. But that's the kind of best counseling session you can have where two mature Christians figure out the self. But I don't want to lose what my central point here is that we all have challenges in life. We all have times where we might feel extremely inadequate, or we can't even begin to understand how we're going to get through this gigantic situation we're in. It looks like we're standing at the bottom of Mount Everest, looking up. We can't even see the top of this mountain that we have to climb because the clouds are in the way, and we're feeling completely overwhelmed. But that is what our prayer life does. This is what Jesus went into his prayer closet for, was to look at this mountain from God's point of view, to gain a new perspective of it. Because from God's point of view, from his throne, that mountain looks about that big. Jesus showed us the way. Choose prayer over everything. And for many of us, prayer is the last thing we think about doing, isn't it? We see it as a spiritual exercise that we're supposed to do because we're Christians. It's something we do like with reading our Bible, showing up to church, being nice to people, giving to the needy or giving to the church. But for Jesus, it was the very first thing that he went to. The very first thing. It wasn't just a spiritual exercise for him. You can't read the Gospels without seeing the absolute centrality of prayer in the life of our Lord. And one of the most powerful examples of this in his life was the death of John the Baptist. This was something that shook Jesus. And you see it by his reactions. 
Jesus hears about the death of his oldest and most dear friend and cousins at the act of an absolute madman. He was a despot named Herod. This was somebody Jesus grew up with. If you can wrap your brain around the fact that Jesus played as a child, this is something or someone that he played with. You know, he played the, the Israeli version of cowboys and Indians. It was just Egyptians versus um, Israelites. You know, that was their version of cowboys and Indians. This is somebody he actually played with and shared his life since his birth. And this man who had followed God his whole life, who had spent time in the desert, to just shout the, that the Lord is coming. He is evil. He is murdered by this evil, lascivious, drunken, um, evil ruler because of an oath that he took. And putting yourself in Jesus' situation, when John's disciples come up to him and said, Herod has killed John. Now, I know that if it was me, if, if somebody came up to me and said, you know, most of you met Kevin Robinson. If somebody came up to me and said, this evil ruler over there in Miller, South Dakota has killed Kevin Robinson. My immediate thought is, how can I get that person that killed him? I mean, Jesus has 12 legions. Remember we said I can call upon 12 legions of angels. Do you think Jesus picked up that phone and started dialing the number for a minute? I mean, do you think that was a temptation for him? That, that he could immediately go and take care of business at Herod's house. But instead, Jesus didn't react like we did. He immediately withdraws for alone time with God. And in our humanity, we can look at this and think, wow, that seemed kind of really selfish of Jesus, didn't it? You know, his disciples knew John very well. John's disciples knew John even better. They are all hugging and weeping. They are all experiencing the stages of grief as they mourn the loss of this great man of God. And what's Jesus do? He walks away from them. They need comfort, and yet Jesus withdraws. They needed some of his counsel, some of his wisdom, some of his, his power and his peace. But yet Jesus withdraws. And even though everyone is devastated by John's death, and they probably had a very human and a very personal fear that this was now coming for them, and they needed assurance that Jesus' kingdom is still going to come, yet Jesus withdrew. Because Jesus understood that true intimacy with God or with any other person requires that time alone. It requires that time of seclusion with that person. Because Jesus knew that he needed his Father to be Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace in this situation. He knew that he needed Yahweh El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, that he would someday bring justice to this situation. Because he knew that he needed his father to be Yahweh Saboeth, the Lord God of heaven's armies, who would come if he would indeed call. But mostly, Jesus needed Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. The Lord is present. The Lord that wants to bring him comfort. The Lord that wants to bring him reassurance. The Lord that wants to bring peace to his son. Jesus knew that there was no way he could minister to these people until God ministered to him first. Amen. 
Too often we as Christians try to bring the presence of God to bear in situations where we're carrying no presence ourselves. And that's a mistake we make. But that brings us to our second point of the priority of prayer in our lives. And that it requires that seclusion to be truly personal. I remember of a story I wrote once about a successful high school football coach, as told by one of his players. They're in a state championship game. They're losing. They are getting their butts kicked losing. They're down by almost two touchdowns. Going into the third quarter, his team is dejected. They have no understanding of how they're going to win. They're just getting to that point where they are just going to accept losing. And so they look to their coach. They say, coach, coach. Well, well, wait a minute. Where's the coach? Where's the coach? Assistant coach said, hey, you left me in charge. Well, what do you mean? Where'd the coach go? Did he have like a medical emergency or, or you know, the other team kidnap him or something? I mean, you know, what's going on here? Where's our coach? Where's our coach? And you're looking all over the place from our coach. And about five, ten minutes later, all of a sudden, he just kind of appears back on the sidelines again. And he comes in with a, a new defensive strategy. And he comes in with a couple of tweaks to the offense and ended up winning the game by two touchdowns. They rallied and, and came back to win. And the players during, after the game in the locker room said, Coach, where were you? You know, during that, that time of the game where we needed you the most, you just seemed to kind of disappear. He said, I went up to the press box. You did what? He goes, yeah, you know that, that box up on top of the stands, nice and quiet in there? He goes, I just needed to get a different perspective on what was happening with the game. You see, that coach was wise. He knew he had to go out and get a different perspective. He knew he had to get away from the yellings. He had to get, get, get away from that time of hearing parents say, hey, put my kid in. He can run a touchdown. He needed to get away from the, coach, from the players tugging on him, saying, coach, put me in, put me in. And from his assistant coach saying, don't put him in, don't put him in. I mean, he had to get away from all of that to gain a different perspective of what's really going on in the game. And that is what your prayer time is. That is what your prayer time needs to be. That time of getting alone with your Father. Because you need to change perspective on what's going on in your field of play. It's too easy to let this world drown out that presence of God that needs to be there in your life. The other reason seclusion and just getting away with God is so important is that you can't hear the whisper of his voice over the noise of this world. One of the most famous examples of this is Elijah in the cave. You see it in 1 Kings 18 and 19. Elijah is coming off one of the greatest spiritual victories ever in the nation of Israel. All the priests of Baal are wiped out in a single confrontation. He goes from wiping out the whole religion of Baalism in one fell swoop, and he goes and spends time in intercessory prayer and breaks a famine that had been occurring in the nation of Israel up to that point by having it come and rain. He gets up from that, and then he gets word. The evil queen Jezebel, the one who, who set up Baal worship as a, the national religion of Israel at that time, 
is coming for him. She's put a bounty on his head. She said, dead or alive, I want him dead. And he gets scared and he runs. He goes to a cave and God has to come to him and said, why are you here? Where are you, Elijah? It's interesting that God always seems to ask that of people, uh, famous people in the Bible. What did God ask Adam after he fell? Where are you? What does God often ask us when we fall and mess up? Where are you? How did you get here? How did you get here? Where are you? You see, Elijah is like many of us Pentecostals. He had gotten comfortable with the fire of God. He had grown accustomed to seeing earthquakes happen, fire fall from the sky. The wind was an expectation of God showing himself to his prophet. But life isn't like that. God isn't always going to send the fire. He's not always going to shake the earth. He's not always going to topple trees with the wind because we can't exist in that kind of environment at all times. Everyday life works in the little things, like a whisper. Imagine for a moment that God only spoke in fire, earthquakes, or windstorm. Well, your prayer closet better be made out of fire-hardened brick because you just simply can't exist with that kind of thing going on all the time. No, my friends, God wants intimacy with his people. He doesn't want to be seen as this, as the mighty Oz behind a curtain making the lights flash and the ground shake and the firefall. He wants intimacy. And you aren't intimate in the shout, but you're intimate in the whisper. If you tell somebody a secret, you don't scream it from the rooftops. You whisper it to the wolves that you trust. We, that's where our Pentecostal believers can go wrong. We want the noise. We want the manifestation. We want the emotional high that comes from this mighty moving of God's spirit. And I want that too. I desire to have those kind of services. But you and I actually live in the valley. And that's where we have to learn to exist. If, and that's why you need alone time with God, to be able to learn to hear that whisper from him. Listen, if I'm going to share my heart with you, if I'm going to tell you a secret that has been burdening me, I'm not going to have you stand across Dewey Street here and shout it to you. I'm going to draw you and be alone with you. I'm going to speak softly because you know what? My heart is sacred to me. What does the Bible say? Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. My heart is sacred to me. And God's heart, his thoughts, his feelings are very, very, very sacred to him. So you have to learn to hear him in the whisper. And knowing that will and that heart of God was the key to Jesus' ministry. And it was the key to his priority of prayer. And, that is, and it comes to our final point in that it was the source of his power. You read in the Gospels about the transfiguration. If you don't know what that is, that's a time where Jesus goes up on a mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he is transfigured, which means he is um, made glorified in their presence. He starts to shine as he does in heaven. 
the glory of God falls upon that meeting. And even uh, Moses and Elijah are talking with him. And his disciples are just dumbfounded. They're just looking at him going, oh, who is this man? And Peter doesn't even know what to say. He just says, can we build some tabernacles here for you guys? He doesn't even know what to say. But he, Jesus got to open his disciples' eyes to the spiritual reality of what happens when you pray. We don't seem to understand that when we bend our knee in prayer or when we sit on our couch with our Bible and we pray and say, God, speak to my heart, change my life through reading of your word and through spending time with you. When we do that, this is what's happening in the spiritual. That heaven is opening up. That we have angels ministering to us at that point. That I wish that sometimes that God would just give us those spiritual eyes. That we can see the absolute glory that starts to surround a heart that is seeking intimacy with God. We have that ability to exist like that. And the reason that Jesus so longed to be alone with God, because he desired his presence. He desired God's presence. It wasn't something he could just check off on a spiritual to-do list. He craved the presence of his Father. He craved intimacy with God. And that's the goal to having a priority of prayer in our lives. You know, our January focus is not about me as a pastor trying to get his church to pray. It's not about just a New Year resolution that's going to be forgotten in February. It's not some self-help thing that says, well, if you develop this habit, you'll continue it. It's nothing like that. It is me trying to develop first in my own life and in your lives the feeling of wanting to be intimate with God. Because we have some dark days ahead. And if we do not stand firm on our faith, we will not stand at all. And that firmness in our faith comes through being intimate with God. To keeping a short a short account with him. To, to If we are falling into sin, that we immediately repent and seek his forgiveness and continue in faithfulness. And not just faith, but faithfulness. I want to spend this January refocusing our lives on him. And most importantly, learning to have a desire for that intimacy with our Father. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask, Father, that you just create within us in these next several weeks an intimacy with you. Father, prayer is a vehicle that will get us there. Bible study is that thing that helps us to know your mind, and it is another way for us to get there. Help us not to be so focused on the disciplines that we forget the focus of the discipline. Help us not to look at, at, the, at the list we have to read that day and go, oh, there's five chapters, there's ten chapters. Help us to go, Lord, speak to my heart, change my life. Help us to have that hunger to want to be more like Jesus, to have that hunger to experience you in a new and fresh way. 
You are a God that makes all things new. And I ask, Father, as the pastor of this church, that you do indeed that. Make all things new in our relationship with you, Father. Help us to come into new heights and new depths of intimacy with you. So that when people see us on the street, they can say, that man, that woman, that child has been with Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly, in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.